Hello and welcome back to the Stop Stressing Me Out podcast. I'm your host, Victoria Smith, and we are on week three of our season on workplace well-being and stress management. So in our first week, we talked all about what is workplace well-being even to begin with? What does it look like? How has it evolved over time? And is it a bunch of BS? Now, I'm hoping you've listened to that episode by now. It's only 13 minutes long, and you understand that it is so much more nuanced than that, and that we have a real ability to make some systemic changes within our organizations, and that is what this season is all about. So last week, we talked about how you can create truly meaningful connections through employee resource groups and the myriad of other benefits that those programs have to people's feeling of belonging, productivity, connection, integration. It's just, anyways, it was just a fantastic interview, and I'm so excited today to be joined by Jen Single. So as you'll hear at the beginning of our conversation, Jen and I have known each other for a few years now. If you've read my book, Stress Less Than 90 Days, you'll have read a little bit about Jen's story of stress management transformation in that very first chapter. As I was thinking about this particular season for the podcast, one of the things I often hear from leaders is that this is just the way it is. And I hear this from specific industries again and again and again. Whether it's law, finance, tech, or education, I hear these sentiments from leaders that it's just a fast-paced industry and you have to be able to deal with it. Well, yes and no. I wanted to bring a guest to the microphone today who could share what it actually looks like to lead a team to high performance without sacrificing mental, physical, and emotional well-being. Heck, I didn't just want a leader who wouldn't sacrifice it. I wanted a leader who would prioritize well-being on all aspects. Enter Jen Single. This conversation with Jen is so jam-packed with wisdom that I've broken it up into two parts. I want you to be able to digest the information without a 90-minute episode. You're welcome. And if you are a leader listening to this, take note and take heart. Take note of the tangible tools and practices that you can begin implementing immediately. Jen has done such a great job of sharing so many of those with us. And take heart. Take heart that it is possible, that it may take time and a new perspective and caring for yourself first and foremost, but that it is possible to turn your team's performance and well-being around for the better. So without too much else, Let's go straight into the interview. Well, thank you so much, Jen, for joining me on the podcast. I'm so pleased you're here. Thank you for having me. I am also pleased <laughs> to be here. You and I first met in 2019 at um, a, I was giving a workplace workshop on stress management that you didn't attend. That <laughs> I'll, I'll pretend I'm not offended by that, but we met through my sister-in-law and I honestly feel like it was just one of the best random meetings I could ever have in my life because watching you over the past that's five almost five years now you're just such an incredible leader an incredible friend a coach parent like I just am so pleased to have gotten the opportunity to meet you so I'm just gonna start there oh my goodness well I gotta tell you I'm uh hearts beating a little faster than normal I thank you for saying all of that. And the feeling is very mutual. You know, I didn't go to your um, workshop because I was too busy and too stressed out, <laughs> which is really ironic. And then we met over lunch and I was, I think, describing my life and what was going on and how busy I was. And I think I apologized. I said, oh man, I really should have gone to that session because I could really use that. And then you and I started working together privately Right. And I really, truly got a whole bunch of new perspectives and new skills and things that have carried me through today. And actually, if I think about it going backwards, it it sparks a curiosity around why are we so stressed at work and what is that doing to us from a health perspective and a relationships perspective, even um, from a performance perspective, if you're not actively managing your stress at work, then how can you perform optimally, right? So it really yeah. did kick up for me like a, a project that led into some pretty interesting things personally. And I think five years later, um, I have a lot more tools and a lot more competencies in managing my stress as a leader so that I can help my team experience less stress, but also just how I can perform better myself without actually hurting my health and hurting my personal relationships and finding a little bit more balance. So I think you're pretty incredible. 
what you're doing is really special. What I love that you're also saying is it is possible to get to a point of figuring out how to balance that stress. So in the vein of that, what's stressing you out today? I love your question. And I, (laughs) so many things, (laughs) so many things, but I want to say off the top, like nothing stresses me out anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't, I work really hard day in and day out to identify when I'm feeling stress Mm -hmm. and then counteract it in the moment. Because I don't know if I told you this previously in one of our friend chats, but a few years ago, I was diagnosed with an auto-inflammatory condition, which um, turned out to be the biggest gift of my life. Because what it means is every time I experience stress, I trigger a response in my body that then manifests itself in a bunch of different ways with fatigue and symptoms and this and that flares. And so I sort of felt like the universe gave me like training wheels. Like you shall not experience stress, Jennifer. <laughs> Every time you experience that, you have to counterbalance it because your body needs that kind of that kind of work. So, so I because of that, I have so many techniques in the moment after work. You know, thinking about balance to make sure that I don't tip over and experience stress to a way where I actually harm myself health wise. Mm-hmm. So nothing stresses me out, but a thousand things stress me out every single day. <laughs> <laughs> For example, uh, even just like the most recent one, I just, I take the kids to school most days and I have two kids, uh, five and seven-year-old boys. And I don't know what it is about the time between eight and eight fifteen, but they turn into like little monsters who refuse to get their boots and their coats on. And it's game time. We have to get them in the car and get them to school and get them there on time. Otherwise they have to write their name in a book saying that they're late for the day. So I just experienced that like five minutes before we got on. I definitely noticed in my body that my heart rate went up and I started to feel almost like, I don't know what it is about time things, panicky, right? And so I reminded myself in the moment that they're being late for school is not determinative of my value as a mother. (laughs) It's not going to determine whether they're successful at school. I tried because I don't want to you know, send my stress to my kids. I try to be as calm as I can in the moment while I'm trying to get them out the door. And then as soon as those kids are in school, I take five seconds in the car and I just deep breathe. I try to find a, we live in Vancouver. So I try to find a bird. This is my my biggest trick is I find a, a bird and I just watch it for a second or two. And that seems to kind of calm my nervous system down. And then I'm like, and that's me counterbalancing the adrenaline that's in my system from all of that stress that I'm experiencing. So that's the most recent one, I would say. And then big picture, um, I have a lot of uncertainty in my life right now. I'm about to wrap up 10 years at a tech company in Calgary where I started off when we were a startup and now we're, you know, a really big, you know, billion dollar big deal company with a thousand clients. So I decided to uh, wrap that up and take a sabbatical and figure out what my my next adventure is going to be. And in doing that, um, experiencing a lot of uncertainty. What am I going to do when I grow up? How are my finances going to work? What am I going to do day to day? It's kind of an interesting thing. So the big global kind of ugly beast that is uncertainty is on my mind a lot, which requires me to do a little bit more investing in my own self-care day to day, but I seem to be handling it relatively okay most times. That's great. No, I very much resonate on both of those. Uh, but also there's something about Mondays, not just eight to eight fifteen, but Mondays in particular, they're just like, I don't want to go to school today. And uh, I had that. My daughter is in a very, my kids are five and eight. So pretty similar. And my daughter's just in a very, no, I do not <laughs> want to get dressed. What are you going to do about it? Mm. And that triggers a little something in me of like, you know, my own issues of I I was not allowed to do that when I was a kid. Why do you think you're allowed to do that? So, you know, I have my own work to do. Yeah. We're like gentle parenting now. We're trying, I I don't know about you, but I'm I'm really trying hard not to be the kind of parent that hollers all the time. Yeah. (laughs) I grew up with that and I am not successful 50% of the time. I feel like a 50%, um, you know, improvement rate over what I experienced is still good. Yeah. You know, but there is something really like, especially if you're tired, which we all are, and you're depleted. And then these little people, they just know how to get your goat. They just know what to say and do <laughs> in the moment, right? Like they'll lie down on the floor when you need to get to school. And you're like with that dead weight kid thing they do. And you're like, I need you to put your boots on like right now. <laughs> but no, but how about no? <laughs> like, 
So you were telling us a little bit about your career trajectory. For those who are listening, can you give us a bit of like what you do, what your career has looked like? It's a weird and winding tale, which I won't take too much time going into. I started off um, my career as a corporate commercial litigator in a private practice law firm and uh, articled at the firm, stayed on as an associate and kind of grew my practice for a long time. And in that in that work, you start off as a, you know, a protege, like a junior person, and you're learning a lot from people who are really generous with their time and mentoring you on how to be a good lawyer and how to be a good partner and advisor and all that. And then at some point it flips and you're invited to be that person for folks. And I really loved that role of having um, more junior lawyers on my team and sort of developing their skills, but also their perspective on you know how to do law without tipping over all the time, which is really a very um, intense profession, I would say, right? Mm-hmm. There's billable hours and clients come to you as a litigator on their worst day, right? They've either been sued or they need to sue somebody. So kind of managing through that. And then after a while of that, I really loved litigation. It was really fun. But after a while, I decided I, I wanted to have a bigger role in business. And I was always seeing clients when things would go wrong. And I thought, well, I would like to have a role in in helping to avoid that and helping companies to be successful. So I just lucked out one day and a a plucky little company in in Calgary was looking for their first, you know, general counsel. And I applied on a whim saying, hey, I I think this could be really cool. And, And so came in on the ground floor at this technology company. Um, I was our first lawyer. I think we had about 80 employees at the time and I think about 30 clients. And um, I actually was hired as part of a big cohort. There were 30 of us that were hired all at the same time. And that was really fun because none of us really knew what we were doing and we could all kind of go to each other and be each other's support systems. So I started there. Um, Really, I had two jobs. I was there to do all the legal work. And, which included client license agreements and some corporate transactions things, um, but also to help grow the international side of the business as well, which was the part I was really excited about. And then over time, we grew the legal function out. We got some more people. It really grew as a company just wildly. And uh, after about you know five years of that or so, I thought, hmm, I wonder if I really want to be a pure lawyer anymore or if I want to do something more sort of in the business. And um, the risk and compliance team was looking for a leader. And risk and compliance is, I always say it's like a close cousin for law. There's a lot of similarities in terms of how you approach problems and frameworks and things like that. So I um, was lucky enough to be appointed to lead that function. And in that sort of chapter of my time at the company, we really did some incredible things together. We sort of overhauled the function top to bottom and turned it into a strategic accelerator and um, and really built a very special team there. And so after that, of course, this is like the history of my life. I thought, okay, I've done that. Check, check. They're, they're great. They're in good shape. I've got a successor in place who's going to take over, who was awesome. Uh, I looked around the business and I thought, what else can I do for this wonderful company? And we had an initiative that had uh, great potential, uh, really complex, very innovative, um, involves a third-party partner. So really, you know, lots of complexity across the board that, um, you know, everyone's really excited about it, but I think it just needed a little bit of structure and a, and a leader to kind of work through some of the roadblocks that had been in its way. And so I offered to jump in and help and lead that as the strategic lead. So that was, it is right now, my current role is strategic lead impact insights. And again, at the end of that assignment, when everything was in really good shape and I was able to hand it back to the business and say, okay, you guys are ready, ready to roll and accelerate your progress there. I actually sort of stopped and paused for a second. And and I think the company at the same time did too. And it just felt like I was done. You know, it felt like uh, I'm ready for a new adventure. I'm ready to see what else is out there. I, um, I've i learned a lot about what I love doing and what maybe I love a little less doing. And so I decided at the end of that assignment with the company, you know, full support that it was time to part ways. So I'm just about to start a, what I'm calling a sabbatical. You could call it a pilgrimage or a journey. <laughs> I'm going to take some time and really um, meditate on what the next chapter looks like and how I can design my life around my you know, key priorities, which are going to be my health first and foremost. And um, my family, they're really cute, these little five and seven-year-old boys. And also 
how I can take the skills and the knowledge that I've invested in in the last 10 years and accelerate its impact for the space as well. So I have this really lofty goal, I would say, of trying to, I don't know, eat my cake. Like, what is that saying? Have your cake, have and, my eat cake and eat it too. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to try, but I think it's going to be a really great time of rest and reflection and, and resetting before I go. So that's my whole journey to date. Well, I'm very excited. The thing you missed out on in there though, which maybe because it, it's not necessarily career related, but I remember when you and I were working together, like basketball being such a oh. thing that you talked about and coaching being such an area of importance. How, I mean, was that something you did all throughout your life? How did you become a coach? All the things. Totally. Well, it's funny because um, a few folks at the company I'm just um, cycling off of uh, have a nickname for me, and that's Coach. Because really, truly, I am a, a coach through and through in my DNA. And that comes from my background from a very young age in elite sports. I uh, played basketball at a very high level from about you know 13 on, which is notable you know me, but folks listening don't, I'm five foot two. So I'm quite a wee person and basketball, as you know, um, usually is for the taller folks, but I am tenacious and don't believe in imposed limitations. <laughs> so <laughs> picked this sport because I really loved it and um, played at a really high level and actually was selected to play on a college team. I blew my knee out in my first year when I was 19 years old, which was heartbreaking at the time. And also, again, kind of the best thing that could have happened to me. My grades weren't great and I wanted to be a lawyer. And so I think it was kind of a good way of going, okay, let's focus on your grades. But I wasn't really done with the sport of basketball and the culture and the experience of excellence and, and kind of that elite mentality. And so um, I think mostly just to like lick my wounds, I went back to the program that I grew up with, the club and said, hey, do you need a coach? Of course, they always do. And so I went back right back into it and started coaching at that elite level from about 19 years old. And it stuck with it right up until I gave birth to my now seven-year-old. So it's been a few years since I've been actively coaching mm -hmm. basketball. I'm waiting for that seven-year-old. He's in basketball now. I'm waiting for him to get into the sport. And then I'll put my like whistle and my shorts back on with my clipboard. Yeah. But that experience of playing and then coaching athletes at that level has really informed how I think about business leadership and leading teams and building teams. And I pretty much filter just about everything I do from a leadership perspective through the lens of elite sports. There's a lot of parallels and overlaps. And, and I also pull and steal a lot of coaching techniques that I had in sports and modify it for business and have piloted and tested a bunch of things in business that have had a lot of impact too. So it's, uh, you know, I, I would say I'm a, uh, well, I'm a mom first, and then I'm a coach, and then I'm a business business leader. If those two things could be the same, I would say they're the exact same thing. So what are most average leaders missing that sports brings to the table for you with your teams? That's a great question. I think the unique features of the way I lead that come from, from team sports are my goal, and it's 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 intentional and deliberate and articulated. I always articulate to the teams I'm working with that the goal of this experience is really twofold. It's we need to get the business what it needs. Like they're paying X number of dollars for all of our salaries and all of our investment. What is it that they need out of this business strategically? So that's sort of our North Star. But we need to give the business that through a team, right? Through the team that is healthy, sustainable, supported, inspired, energized, equipped, right? Can do the work that they need to do. And I think, I think everybody that's really intuitive, everybody would say that's what we do as leaders, but it seems like um, a lot of folks will focus on that first piece, like delivering what the business needs. And the second piece, I think there's sometimes an assumption that it'll just happen by osmosis, or maybe it's HR's function right? To, to deliver and build team development up. And I've always thought as the coach of this team that I'm responsible for, my job is to do those two things at the same time. And so I spend a lot of time thinking about team development, trying things out with the team. I experiment a lot. I pilot a lot. I fall and fail a lot. A lot of things I try don't work, but a lot, the things that do work really work well or have worked well for us. I think that's probably the difference because 
I want to win a championship, whatever that means in business, but you can't win a championship if you don't have a championship team. And so I'm building the team while we're focusing on the goals at the same time. And part of that in elite sports, you know, if you've ever been on a sports team or, or you've, um, you know, coached a sports team, an elite team in, uh, specifically, you know that there is this um, accepted truth that teams can't perform 100% all the time right? You need to build in wellness and rest. And, uh, you know, athletes will push themselves and build in rest days. They've got physio after every practice to counterbalance the stresses they put on their bodies. You'll have off seasons, you'll do other things, right? So I think when I'm thinking about building teams in the back of my mind, I'm always thinking about pushing them. I think everybody, most people want to have an experience of excellence together. We all like winning and being successful, but how do you build that in a way that, you know, I don't want to just win this one game. I want to win the championship. And frankly, I want to win a championship over and over and over again. I'm trying to build a dynasty, right? So how do you invest in those pieces from the ground up? Well, and you don't want to win at the sake of everyone being miserable the entire way, right? Because then you, that team breaks apart and then doesn't come back together and it's not as fulfilling, right? Well, I mean, in fact, I would go one step farther, it's counterproductive, right? The best teams that I've ever, you know, been a part of or played on or coached, they have the most fun. It's a funny feature. Not a lot of people know this, but the, and it's, it's fun to win. That's easy, right? It's fun to be a winning team. It's fun to be a championship team. You get a bit of swagger about you and you've got your, you know, your team logo and your shirt and stuff. But it's also, I think, just innately satisfying as a person to know that you're operating optimally that you, you your potential is you're working towards it you're growing and you know maybe you have things that are just your superpowers that are on display all the time all of that feels really good what doesn't feel good is uh doing it to the point where you're so depleted right you can't enjoy the rest of your life so there's this balance that you're striking as a coach and as a leader all the time where you're trying to inspire your team to push beyond what they think their own limits are a lot of people have self-imposed kind of limitations on what they think they can do you're pushing but you're not pushing to the point of depletion mm -hmm. right and doing that hopefully you're creating a really positive team environment that almost becomes sort of self-accelerating when people are having a good time and they have energy they do more and then you know just kind of feeds on itself and it strikes me that like with sports, it's physical development and personal development. And in the workplace, it's professional development and personal development. They, they go so well together it, with the right leader. Well, and so I would say physical, professional, and mental. There's yeah. a real mindset and and sort of mental game, if you will, that is very important both in sports and in business. I think a lot of, a lot of um, the tweaks that you might make as a coach could just be mindset and you would get a lot of benefit from it. I want to pause this incredible conversation with Jen to let you know about the spring training that we have available at Impactful Engagement. While you can check out the full course listing at impactfulengagement.com forward slash training, I wanted to let you know about our program starting March 1st called Less Stressed Leaders. If you're listening to this conversation and resonating with the topics, but you yourself are feeling overwhelmed, this program is for you. We're going to guide you step-by-step step through the process of compartmentalizing your stress and getting to the root of it, not just Band-Aid solutions, and creating an actionable plan to manage it. It's deeply rooted in the coaching that I do one-on-one -on -one with highly ambitious and empathetic leaders. It's so hard to give from an empty tank, and this program will give you the toolkit to refill your own tank. And here's a secret. And I usually don't like to share it until the program is almost done, but between you and I, I'm going to share it now. Every tool we talk about in the program, while it's for you as a leader, once you've mastered it, you can then share these same tools with your team members. So it's like a double whammy of goodness. This is a six-week program that meets for one hour weekly, and we're running it from March 1st to April 15th, so it's not that far away. You're going to finish this program feeling empowered, inspired, and ready to show up as the best version of your leadership self. There are limited spaces, so please go sign up and find information at impactfulengagement.com forward slash training. Again, that's impactfulengagement.com forward slash training. So let's get straight back into the interview. And I feel like the last few years since COVID, like we've just gone through such 
constant and monumental shifts in work and you know you look on linkedin and the constant layoffs that everyone's experiencing or the economy being what it is like everyone's having to shift in their personal lives and their professional lives so consistently and that's hard to do and so i think if you have a leader who you feel safe with to help you navigate some of that recognizing that leader has their own shifts and and you know roller coaster to ride i think I think what you're saying of bringing that fun and safety into it as well is so, so important. Well, I don't know about you, but I wake up in the morning, I go to work. I want to have a good time yeah. while, I, while I'm delivering what the business needs. Like that's your North star, right? We're, we're all business people. There's a bargain. You know, I get a paycheck. I deliver X, Y, Z. And so you have a choice to make as a leader. You can either actively develop a team experience that is pleasant and fun and supportive and connected and safe and all of that. Um, or you can do nothing and hope that that happens. And maybe it will. It depends on the people on your team. But more often than not, when you're dealing with the pressures of business and you've got deadlines and milestones and crisis that happens, if you're not actively counterbalancing that as the leader with these team components that allow you to be resilient, then I think sometimes that's where you know team experiences can kind of fall flat and you can see disengagement or like just pure exhaustion, you know, sometimes. Well, and you and I were saying before we started recording, like, we don't believe leaders come in wanting to do a bad job, right? No. They don't want to, you know, have a stressed out team. They don't want to do any of these things. Part of it is, you know, we're doing the best we can with the skills we have available to us with also the, you know, cocktail of issues we have in our own personal lives. Like there's so many different elements at place. Um, and so one of the things I want to chat about is what are some of those practices or things that you trialed with teams. So when I was thinking about this particular episode, I was talking to my sister-in-law who we share as a as a dear friend and I was like, I want to understand like who had led like a high performance team but also like really cared about their well-being and she's like, "Oh, just talk to Jen." So could you tell me a little bit about, you know, this team that you're saying you led that, you know, you made these big big shifts that led to big personal and professional wins for all of them? Sure. So um, I have a really great recent example of a team that I um, I think I can say, and they won't be offended by me saying we had a pretty big turnaround, mm -hmm. right? We When I started with them um, and I came on board, I, I do some investigation first. I always want to know who my play, like, quote, players are, who I got on my team, like who can shoot a three point, you know, who can do this? So I get really curious and I'll like read their resumes again. I'll talk to them about what they do at the company and, and you know, what they want to do at the company. Like, are you doing a job that you like to do? I get really, really curious. So in my in investigatory phase of this, of this leadership of this team, I asked some of them. So, you know, if you had to describe the relationship that we have as a team with the rest of the business in a word, what word would you use? And they kind of use a bunch of different words. And one person said something that sort of stopped me cold in my tracks. Uh, she said, the word that comes to mind is doormat. We feel like a doormat. And I thought, ooh, like that just broke my heart, mostly because um, that's just not the experience that anybody, I know, I know everybody in this company, nobody wants anybody to feel that way. That's not intentional. Um, but I believe that it was a true feeling. And so I got even more curious about it. And really what I think this person was describing was just a feeling of kind of powerlessness over workloads and requests that were coming in and, and perhaps um, not feeling really respected at times, like the expertise that they brought to bear to the company and not feeling like um, maybe seen as much as they needed to be seen. That, that just told me that there was a real friction point there between this, this function and the rest of the business. And um so I thought, okay, well, that's a real opportunity because if you feel like a doormat, you're probably not bringing your best self to work and doing the best you can all day long, well, right? Self-protection as well, right? Like, why would I bring my best if I'm not going to feel great in return? Exactly. And uh, and I don't know about you, but I I don't I wouldn't want to be on a team where you feel like. So I thought, okay, well, that's a real opportunity because I know that the intent was not that anywhere across the business. Ever, nobody wants to feel like that. Nobody was trying to make that team feel like that. So I thought it was a really great opportunity. And uh, and in looking at why that was happening, a lot of really great uh, new structures and new processes and new ways of being came to light that allowed us to actually just be more well, <laughs> right? If that's a word to be, what is the word? Not weller. 
to focus on our wellness. Yeah. <laughs> better well-being. To help us be yeah. happier, to help us have a better experience with the business. And so the first thing we did actually, um, and the first thing I do with every team is I ask the team, what is the purpose of this team? Why are we here in the first place? And so together co-created a vision for the team, even if it wasn't true that day for us, like felt true for us. And we figured out as a team that we had a really important role in the company, really key, 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 key. You know, they, without us, our clients would not be able to buy our products and services because it would be deemed to be too risky for them to interact with us. And so we understood first and foremost that we had a critical role in the business. We are important. So shifting that mindset to we perform, you know, a back office function and really we're just doing, you know, administrative work to, no, we're on the court scoring points and we have to be good at our job to, for this company to be successful. I think shifted that, that, that mindset right away, which mm -hmm helps you when you come to work, just come from a place of positivity, right? You're mm -hmm. excited to work. I have a big, important job to do. So we started there and then I restructured the team and its roles and a whole bunch of things just for efficiency, which again, it sounds, it sounds maybe a little bit boring, but if you look at your team and there are inefficient processes all over the place and people are doing manual work when it could be automated or uh, maybe they're not working on things that are particularly relevant to the strategic goals, all of that is going to have a really depressing effect on your team, right? Nobody likes to come into work and say, okay, I'm going to do these questionnaires manually. And there's a hundred of them and I can't keep up with it. You've got to find a way to, so I focused on that first, actually, what was the biggest thing that was holding this team back from having capacity to do work that I knew it could do. And luckily I had a person on the team who was just chomping at the bit to fix this process. <laughs> so I actually pulled him off of whatever it was that he was doing. I said, okay, you've got exactly one month to fix this process. That's your job. That's your goal. That's your focus. Cause I knew by investing in that particular process, being more efficient, we were going to create a whole bunch of really good, positive, you know, momentum off of that. Mm -hmm. And he did a beautiful job and it did exactly what I thought it was going to do. So I would say first and foremost, like looking at the structural things on the team and saying, you know, how does the team see itself? What's the relationship? of it to the business and trying to actively, you know, fix that, like reframe yeah. it and is, will help with the inspiration piece and help with the energy generation piece. And then going in, if you've got something on your team that is just soul crushing, that's th the first thing you should be fixing. <laughs> Look yeah. at it because once you fix that, first of all, you build a lot of trust with your team when you go, I care about what you care about and I want you to have a good experience. So we're going to do this to, in partnership together to make it right. I think that goes a long way. So that would say like, those are the big things. You can't really do much unless you've got those big things figured out and at least working towards a better state. Um, the other thing I did um, is I, I piloted a whole bunch of, you know, things that I would do in basketball that I knew would help build psychological safety and team bonding, right? To have that connectedness again. And, um, and then a couple of them worked so well that I ended up, going on the road with it. I, you know, I, I've been invited to speak to MBA classes around these practices and uh, in industry, I go, I go and speak to them about these practices and these tools and bring it in. And then just recently I finished a program at Harvard um, for executive um, sustainability professionals. And they asked me to come in and showcase this particular ritual too. So I'm really, I'm really proud and I'm happy I get to talk about it here. And I call it gratitudes and celebrations you could call it anything you want. Like gratitudes and celebrations by itself is a little, for lack of a better word, like froofy, mm -hmm. right? But like, and I think anytime you're calling a ritual or a new team tool or technique something, you gotta be careful about what you name it. Because if you name it something that's likely to trigger an immune response, it's actually gonna be hard to put in. Mm -hmm. But on my team and my company's culture, that was totally fine. It wasn't wasn't gonna create an immune response. And basically this this technique I put in it looks like a gratitude ritual, which I know lots of leaders do. I love it when I hear it. You know, you'll have your Slack channels where people are giving each other kudos, or you, maybe you even have like a dedicated meeting where people are just thanking each other. It's kind of like that. But what it actually is, is a gratitude ritual that is disguising team development and creating psychological safety. Um, so gratitudes and celebrations. Let me go through it. The first thing um, about it is I put it directly in my team meeting. So it's not a separate thing. It's not outside of the team experience. It's front and center. Really, as a leader, you know, you don't get that many opportunities to do team development other than your team meetings. When else are you all together, 
right? Just focusing on team experiences. So I treat my team meeting like a practice. Like if it was a basketball context, like, okay, we're practicing how to be a, a team. Basically yeah. we have work to do. You know, obviously you've got your agenda and your things you've got to get through. You've got to get through together. And we build that into the team meeting too. So the work gets done, but I'll spend a good chunk of my time just on gratitudes and celebrations. Cause that's actually where I'm doing my heavy lifting on team development. And so essentially what you do is you put it in your agenda. It's at the top. So we have this structure in our team meetings where everyone filters in. I ask them if they've read the updates because everyone's supposed to put their updates in the week before. And if they haven't, we stop and pause actually and they go and read them so that we're all caught up together. And then I have a section in my team meeting I call headlines. And that's just what else do we want to add to the agenda today? Because some folks will have put things in the agenda the week before. And so I'm like, does anybody have anything that came up between now and then we to talk about? We add it to the list. We go through that list before we get into gratitudes and celebrations very quickly and we prioritize it. What are these things that we have to talk about together? What are, because sometimes people put things on the list just because they want access to the leader. And I'm like, well, let's have a meeting about that. We don't have to do that in front of the team. So what do we have to talk about as a team? What's really key? What's something maybe we could push aside if we had to, if we ran out of time? And what are things we're definitely going to take offline and do meetings? And so basically we have a prioritized list of what we have to get through that day. Then I move into gratitudes and celebrations. And uh, essentially, you can do this remotely or in person. I think it would be better in person, but it works just as, you know, just as well remotely for the purposes you need it for. And you tell folks before you put this in, we're going to try something and it's going to make you feel a little uncomfortable. Like you have to warn people <laughs> when you're going to make them feel a little bit uncomfortable. And I'm going to invite you to kind of go on a journey with me and we're going to try it until we're, we're good at it. And then when we're good at it, if we think there's no value in it, it's not doing anything for this team, I commit, I promise as a leader that I'm going to drop it and we'll try something else. We're not going to force you to do something that's not working forever and ever. So give people that sense of safety right off the bat. We're going to try it. If it doesn't work, we're going to exit out. And, uh, and can I pause for a second? I like what you said about we're going to try it until we get good at it. Mm -hmm. So it's not, we're just going to try it a few times. If everyone's still uncomfortable with it, we'll drop it. It's like, we're going to get good at it first before we make that decision to drop it. And I do that intentionally because everyone hates it at first. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's true. People are trying to get out of it. It's funny how adults and professionals, they use their very professional sneaky tactics to try to get out from under a new thing that makes them uncomfortable. I saw folks uh, like Stonewall in this session. I saw folks... <laughs> like performatively do it, hoping that I would move on from them. But as the coach, like it's just like in a practice, you got to make sure folks are doing the skill correctly before you can move on to like advanced levels or, or digital together. And so basically what I would say to folks is we're going to do a team gratitude and celebration ritual. Every single practice, I like to do it Monday mornings because I just think there's something good about feeling good on Monday that lasts all week long, but you don't have to do it on Mondays. And there's no time limit which is quite controversial, <laughs> right? I don't put a time limit on it. Sometimes we're 10 minutes, sometimes, I don't know, it's almost the whole meeting. And basically folks are expected to show up to that meeting with one thing or as many things as they have, but one thing minimum of a teammate on their team in that room that they're grateful for, that they saw last week, the week before. And I don't have any rules around what it is. It could be huge, it could be, you know, you saved my life last week when you jumped in and blah, 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 blah. Or it could be, hey, um, I noticed that when I gave that spreadsheet to you and you gave it back to me, you moved the column over one and that made a big difference to me. So thanks for being thoughtful, right? So one thing, big, small, anything you like. And then you also have to describe the impact it had on you in real terms. So it's just, it's a formula, what it is, what the impact was on you to an individual, not like the group, one person. And, um, and then we also have a rule for the receiver. So the person who's receiving this feedback, it's so funny. I see it all the time. Someone is giving you a compliment and in business, especially, uh, you'll see people kind of brush it off. You know, they're like, oh, it was a team effort, which is maybe true, but you know, like it's brushing it off or like, oh, it was nothing, or it's just my job. Like you see kind of these dismissals, Right. And the issue with that in that particular ritual is that if you're brushing it off, you're not getting the benefit of the dopamine, which we're trying to generate together, right? And also, I don't know about you, but it's kind of like someone gave you a gift, like a present, and you opened it and you went, I don't need that. 
it's not, it's not nice, right? Someone goes out on a limb and it, it actually feels very uncomfortable to give a colleague a, a genuine, you know, piece of positive feedback in a group setting. They're taking like a personal risk and feeling quite vulnerable to brush it off is not reciprocity. Yeah. So we expect reciprocity in terms of the vulnerability that both people are sitting in, in that gratitude moment. And it's very uncomfortable for a lot of people for a while. We're not used to doing that. I think even in our personal lives, like I have a hard time telling my husband I'm grateful for anything. <laughs> right. It just something about that, that joy that comes out of it is makes people feel pretty like, exposed, I guess. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's a work appropriate level of vulnerability. We're talking about work things. We're not talking about personal things and they're all, you know, recent specific tangible things. They're not broad comments, but in doing that, you generate this little spark of risk, right? It's risk. And I think psychological safety is not something you can teach. You can't just say, I need you all to feel psychologically safe. We're going to put you through a course. And now you are psychological safe. It's a lived experience. Mm -hmm. And so when you're on a team meeting week in, week out, having this little bit of risk generated and it being okay, you build a little bit of safety over and, over. and then over the weeks, people get more comfortable and you see more generosity, bigger things are, are brought forward, more vulnerable things are brought forward in that team that really allow the team to feel quite bonded. And the other benefit of it too is um, it just feels good to have a teammate see the work you do, the effort you put in and acknowledge it openly. It really is a wonderful thing for building bonds between team members as well. And I think the um, the like happy hormone that it generates in the meeting, the dopamine that we're kind of sharing and generating together, it it helps, for, at least on the team that I um, you know piloted and implemented this with, it seemed to create like a foundation of resilience so that, you know, when the company went through some hard times with the layoffs or, you know, maybe fewer resources than you like on the team or crisis, that team was so bonded and had such a great foundation of dopamine that they were able to weather those really stressful situations a little bit better than I'd seen in other teams across the company. So I think yeah. it's a, just a really amazing practice for that purpose. But I told you, it's not just a gratitude ritual. That's the gratitude piece, which I think is key for wellness. It's also a team development tool, sneaky one, actually, because what I get to do as the coach, first of all, I'm enforcing the rules, you know, so, and they're so sneaky. Sometimes they, you know, they'd come on and they didn't want to be vulnerable that day or whatever. So they would just say, I'm really grateful to you so-and-so because you're just the best teammate in the history <laughs> of the world. <laughs> gently go okay that's wonderful thank you can you be a little more specific like is there an example from last week that you that's making you think that and you just keep going until they they comply basically and then on the other side you see so many funny behaviors but again you're just gently coaching and going oh, okay you know do you want to take a second and just pause and think about how that makes you feel and then share back to your teammate how that makes you feel and you're just kind of coaching that way through so that's you have to coach the ritual to make sure you get the full benefit out of it and what I'm listening for as the coach of this team is anything that is shared spontaneously from one team member to another that is a team behavior or a team mentality or a process or something that I love. If I see something that I love, uh, like, for example, this, and this happened on the team, uh, it was such a great gratitude. This team member came on and they had just been on vacation. So first of all, awesome. Take your vacation. Love it. And they said, this is the first time I actually checked. I didn't check my emails. I didn't do anything. I just, didn't, I just rested. And when I came back, you, so-and-so teammate, um, my files were perfect. You didn't just babysit things. And like, there was a huge fire last week while I was out. You actually went above and beyond and took care of my matters. You got in there and solved problems and dealt with this crisis in and above the work you have on your plate. So that when I came back to work today, um, I can just step back into my files. I don't have a mountain of work I have to do. And like, what a what a gift. I'm so grateful to you for going above and beyond for me. Like, that was the gratitude. I'm sitting there getting chills going, oh my gosh, this is so great. I cannot wait to add on top of this. And then the person on the other side beautifully handled it. They sat there 
they took a pause. You could see them taking the gratitude into their body and really like letting the dopamine sort of circulate in their bloodstream. And they said, I really appreciate you noticing that. I did work really hard for you. And I'm proud that I did that for you. And I know you would do that for me. Oh, what a beautiful moment between team members. And I just also have to mention, these people that I'm talking about are risk and compliance professionals. <laughs> like you might be thinking, um, wow, they're, maybe they're like your HR team or your creative team or something. No, these are auditors, accountants, fraud <laughs> professionals. <laughs> like these people are your blues and your greens in your company. And so to get to that place, it took us a long road to get to that place where they were that comfortable. But once they did, it was amazing. So they had this... Um, this moment. But what I get to do as the coach, because it's team development, is I stop and I go, okay, I just want to let that breathe for a second. I pause, I slow everybody down. And I said, I want to just call out a few things that I heard there. First, you know, you took your vacation and you really checked out and you rested and you took care of your body. What an amazing act of leadership and self-care. Awesome. 10 out of 10. And then I'll say, and what I also just heard is your teammate went above and beyond for you. They did more than is expected of them. Frankly, most people, when they're covering for someone, they kind of just keep it going and then tell everybody, wait till the person comes back and then they have a work a mile high, but you didn't do that. That's excellence. That's what a championship team looks like right there. So I get to coach on top of it and really encourage and spotlight the things that are behaviors of the team that I know are going to help them be successful long-term. And it's just human nature. Whenever the leader steps in and highlights something publicly, you get way more of it. It just yeah. becomes part of your team norm, right? So I try to balance it. I would, you know, if somebody got one one week and I saw something great the next week from a different team member, I would spotlight that thing so that there wasn't like a perception of favoritism. But genuinely, I think that's how you, from a positive place, like you're giving feedback to your team, but you're not doing it um you're not, you're not always calling out the issues that you're seeing or the things that are going wrong and correcting. It's actually just reinforcing and spotlighting the things that you think are excellent and giving a lot of positive energy around it so that you see more of that. And sure enough, it became part of our team identity that we are a team that does more for each other, that we step yeah. up even when it's hard and you can count on one another because I think of that team development that I did in that gratitudes and it's a gratitude ritual plus plus section it was transformative for us. It gives me chills because I think of, you know, most places that I've worked, you often have like a tool to do, you know, whether it's Slack or the actual kudos tool or there's reflective other, there's all sorts of different tools to do this with, but that requires someone because it's, because it's not a requirement to go out of their way to remember to do that and, and feel like it's important. Um, and we get busy, we forget to do those things, you know, a week's gone by, oh, it's too late for me to do it now kind of thing. And the other piece is like, we all want to feel like we have purpose. Like we get so much, like, I, I truly believe there's very few people who just want to go to work for a paycheck. They want to feel like they're making a difference, whether in the big scope of things, like I'm making a big difference for the business, or I made a difference for my team member, or I feel like part of that team, like we all want that purpose. And so when you, when the rule of the formula is to tie it to impact, what a phenomenal difference. And most people only get that, especially from their leader, twice a year in performance reviews. Totally. It's a, it's a principle. So I can't fully take credit for this particular ritual because I stole it from a basketball club. <laughs> I was invited when I was a young coach. I'm not old. I, when I was a budding coach to, to go and uh, be a guest coach at an American elite training program called Point Guard College. And they were they do these one week clinics basically. And so they have to build team fast in those yeah. clinics, right? To really like push performance. And I noticed they did this thing after every session where they would sit down with the team and they would do this. They would have the the um, the players actually give kudos to other, in front of the group. And then the coach would come in on top and say, yeah, we liked it when you did your two foot jump stop or when you, or you faked a pass to make a pass. And you guys keep doing that. And it was really just amazingly bonding and super good for the performance of the team. And then, uh, so that's all we're doing in business basically, right? Is having yeah. the team coach each other on what they like. And then the coach comes in and reinforces it. And then the other piece around the just stopping and pausing and not 
um, you know, brushing off the thank you. I got that from my own work, working on my own health, basically saying like, you know, a lot of times, especially high performing people, they, there's this funny dynamic around receiving compliments or kudos mm -hmm. where you've been sort of trained out of, like, it's almost like you think you're going to get labeled as like cocky or maybe like not humble or something. If you, if you don't say, oh, it wasn't me, it was a team effort, right? Like, you feel like there's going to be some sort of negative like connotation around you if you don't accept the compliment. But the problem with that is then you're not actually down-regulating your system. Like you have a great opportunity when someone gives you a compliment to actually use it to down-regulate, to get your nervous system back into a state of calmness, right? Because that's what that should do. And so if you brush it off, then you're just going to be sitting in adrenaline all day long, which is not mm -hmm. good for nervous systems, right? So it was this practice that I developed as part of my own healing journey where I was like, okay, if someone says something to me, that's like a genuine compliment or genuine kudos, instead of brushing it off or whatever, I'm going to sit there, pause, let it impact my nervous system for a beat, and then thank the person for the gift, like truly genuinely. And you create this this bond with that person that is really protective, right? It's protective. I think their nervous system probably, you know, is soothed as well at the same time. So you're kind of helping each other at work, just, you know, get from an adrenaline, you know, state where you're mm -hmm. constantly stressed back down into a place of, of calm. So I put those two things together and it, um, it really has been that one particular ritual that we added to our team meeting has done more for our team development and for creating a high performance uh, mentality than I think it, like anything else that I could have done. Okay, so we're going to pause there for today. I have zero doubts that you are just as inspired by Jen as I am and that your aha moments are pinging all over the place. Next week, we'll dive further into building psychologically safe teams, more on what it means to be the coach of your team and beyond. If you found this episode helpful, please share it with a friend or fellow leader. Again, don't forget to check out our spring training programs, particularly Less Stressed Leaders, which launches March 1st. You can find more information at impactfulengagement.com forward slash training. See you again next week.